Hi, I'm Sharon Davis, Chief Executive of Young Enterprise, and welcome to Series 3 of Enterprising Mindsets, Minding Your Money. We'll be exploring the often overlooked role mindset plays in building financial capability and the significant benefits to be gained from understanding the impact our attitudes, beliefs, and values have on our behaviours around money. I'm hoping we'll discover new ways to help young people build a money-related mindset and also explore the contribution this could have in increasing social mobility in in the future. My guest today is Michaela Wright. She is Head of Corporate Sustainability for HSBC UK, responsible for the execution of the sustainability strategy within the core themes of future skills and inclusion and supporting the transition to a net zero carbon economy. Michaela holds a Master's in Sustainability and Responsibility and her passion is supporting the business integration of the social and environmental issues material to HSBC UK. Her role involves working with internal and external stakeholders to raise the profile of how the financial sector can support a more sustainable future for us all. She's also a member of the Joint Advisory Board on Climate Change and Environmental Research for the Grantham Institutes at Imperial College London and the London School of Economics and Political Science. For a number of years, Michaela was a single mum of two now grown-up girls and was always doing what she could to live as sustainably as possible within the means available to her. She loves walking her dogs and generally being in nature. Now, and if that wasn't enough, she's recently taken up cultivating honeybees. Michaela Wright, welcome to Minding Your Money. Thank you, Sharon. And thank you so much for inviting me here to join you today. Michaela, I have so many questions to ask you, not least about your new beekeeping hobby, but I want to take you back to when you were little, if I may, because we know, don't we, that mindset is often informed by our early experiences of the world and research says that money habits and behaviours stick with us for life, are very often formed by the age of seven. So my first question is, can you remember what and who your early memorable influences were that informed your attitude and mindset around money? Yes, certainly, Sharon. I, I, my key influence, I'm sure it's similar to a lot of people, but it was my mum. She was a a single mum bringing up four children. uh, And there was a lot of budgeting, as you can imagine. She also didn't have that much money. So you literally saw the physical money because it was going into the gas meter. So you soon realised if you'd not had a good week in terms of budgeting, because there'd be no hot water. But she also taught me a lot about waste as well, because she she was very sort of frugal in making things last. Um, I, I'm, I'm really good at peeling a potato. And I'd say that even with food waste, you know, I, I remember she'd do a Sunday dinner with a chicken and it would then become a soup. And then you'd have chicken paste sandwiches later on in the week. So I don't eat meat anymore, Sharon, but um, I do often think about that chicken paste. I used to love it as a child. So, really? um, so yeah, she, she definitely was my influence because she had to budget so so tightly and so where were you in the four then were you the eldest or middle or youngest I I was the the third I had two older brothers I've got a younger sister um as well um yeah so So the oldest girl yes yeah and in what ways do you think that those early influences it sounds like your mum was a massive influence in terms of your financial mindset How, how have they kind of stuck with you with regards to your emotional relationship with money as an adult um, 
it's been a bit double-edged. I, I should have mm. said there was a father occasionally on the scene who didn't manage money that well. So so there was that sort of, the, I saw the bad side of money management as well. Um, and I, I, I saw what happens if you don't manage to, to the point of, you know, losing a home. So it taught me that influence of my my mum and then seeing that what happens when you don't budget. It did teach me early on the need to really think about my needs first and, you know, meeting my basic need, paying the bills, making sure there was enough food, etc. And even when I started working, I didn't have a lot of savings. So so it meant I had to tightly budget. So being taught that from my mum at a year early age was really helpful. And it also helped with my girls as well. So yeah, I soon realised that if you wanted a treat, you needed to save for it. So um, and, and think about that, you know, your future as well in terms of pensions, etc. And as a mum yourself, what's the reality like in having those early conversations about money with your children? I think the reality is trying to involve them in, mm. in things. So so for me, I, I mean, obviously through the work we, we do with you and, and the charity, Sharon, we, we know those habits are formed at younger age, you know, and, and you, you mentioned by the age of seven, many of those money, money habits are already formed. I think from from my perspective, I I involved the you know when we went shopping, I'd involve them in making the decisions and some choices about you know the more expensive brands over the cheaper brands etc. And that's later led on to me bringing in other considerations given given the the area I, I I've worked and studied in. But definitely in their younger years, it was you know you can have three of those or one of those, you know, and and just involving them. So kind of practically applying the learning, applying the knowledge. They knew if they wanted something, a bigger item, they'd have to save. And so, you know, there was a, a, a small amount of pocket money, but there was also, you know, gifts that people would give you at Christmas or birthdays. And if they wanted something big, they knew to say, can you give me this because it's going to go towards X. So I think those practical things where you can involve them in some of those decisions and 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 let them know about the choices that they have, if, if they have them. You know, I didn't have them when I was younger. and um, But luckily... I, I saw firsthand that mum just needed to get the shopping. So so that that actually helps you understand why you can't have something that some other children can have. Mm. And you mentioned, I mean, HSBC UK have contributed a lot towards early intervention of financial education, uh, supporting young people from the age of three onwards through the, through the Money Heroes programme. Why is the focus on these early years so important for HSBC UK? I, th- I think my not only the research, but I've I've always been interested in more preventative measures, and and so the research, you know, as as you quite rightly pointed out, by the age of three, children can grasp those basic money concepts, and then we we know that by the age of seven, um, those some of those money habits are formed. So based on that research, we created Money Heroes with you, but it really does. It enables teachers and parents to access sort of high quality um, and engaging financial education. So there's a range of activities. We have a, a, a platform, a shared platform. They can go and track their children's progress. But the engaging content is games and books. So we've created some 
great Ed and Bunny storybooks with Matt Carr for ages three to 11, uh, three to seven, sorry. Um, and then there's sort of shopping basket games as well with uh, Orchard Toys. And then for older age groups, we've got some super stories um, for Money Heroes that comes from Emma Nori as well. Um, and again, with lots of, of games. I, I, I played on one the other night, Sharon, that's coming very soon, a digital party planner. I'm not sure everyone would want to come to my party, but it, it was it was a great game and I can't wait for us to launch that. But lots of teacher training and, and mentoring as well to support the programme. The, the bit that I think you know, Sharon, that I'm pas- passionate about as well is reaching the hardest to reach children. Specifically, I'm thinking about like young people in care that don't always have sort of consistency so we're always also working with BBC children in need mm-hmm. and that's to help them reach another 8,000 of the really hard to reach young people. Mm. And of course uh, young people leaving care are usually more exposed to having to make independent financial decisions more than anyone else so it's only right that they get access to those important financial education skills. Definitely being able to just budget it seems basic but it's not basic if you've never been taught it so if you don't understand that so yeah it is crucial um that any any program reaches all all groups of young people now i know from our many conversations that you're a passionate advocate of helping people join the dots when it comes to finances and sustainability can you just talk us through a little bit about how the financial decisions we make can influence the environmental impact that we can have. I'm going to use one of my favourite quotes because it actually explains this, Sharon. And and anyone that's seen me present on sustainability knows this usually comes in near the end. But um, it's a quote by Anna Lapley. And it's, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. Mm. And I think... Say that again. Just say that again because that's pretty profound. Yeah. Say it again. Every time you spend money you are casting a vote for the kind of world that you want. And and I I, I found that really powerful, Sharon. And um, when people are educated to understand climate change and sustainability, they, they start to realise that that means that we also have to change our behaviour and choices as well. So I, I'm not, I, I think there's a big role um, for education in, in this space, but I also think a lot of young people are far more educated when it comes to the environment um, than, than older generations. So I think it's all already starting to come through. But I think, put, put simply, I think when you do join the dots and you start making more conscious and, and and I'd say mindful consumer choices, then then you do think about how long things last, what you know, what types of food you will eat, etc. Um, and and these topics we are going to be covering. We've got a new series of uh, climate books within the Money Heroes program that are going to cover a lot of the topics on sort of sustainable fashion and and food, etc. And perhaps a little controversial or not, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But sometimes some of those examples we talk about may involve the consumer making a choice to pay more in order to reduce their environmental impact. And I know it's really important to you to find ways of making that more accessible. How, how do we ensure everyone can make environmentally sound choices and not just those with the means to make them? 
I'm going to give you another quote here. I, I, I don't oh, know man. where this one I love these from. quotes. I, I don't know where it comes from, uh, but I suspect it's a Yorkshire quote, and, and you'll understand why in a second, and you know I'm from Yorkshire. So um, buy cheap, buy twice. So right. <laughs> yes, I get that. I get I, it. I don't know if you've heard that before. Yes, but, I have. Yeah, and, and the reason I'm saying that is that often – the choices we make can be cheaper, but you do need to look at some of these over a longer term. So, um, you know, if I'm not saying every choice is the same. If you've got young children and you're buying school uniform they're going to grow out of, you're not going to buy the most expensive pair of school trousers, are you? Um, but if, if you're buying them something that is going to last longer, then buying something that is that is a more sustainable choice. And sometimes those choices do cost more. However, a lot of sustainability choices don't. So, so there's the one angle, which is buy something that lasts longer. The other is, you know, the, the whole upcycling movement, Sharon, and, and buying secondhand things that have been upcycled. Improving the energy efficiency of your home, again, will save you money on your bills. So and, and, and there's often schemes and government schemes that can support you to insulate your homes. Um, and then uh, the last one, and I would say this uh, as I, I now don't eat meat, but meat is really expensive. So eating a bit less of it then would reduce your week, weekly shopping bills. Um, and I know we've debated, Sharon, about well, you then need to know how to cook all the other um, ingredients and things and there's probably some education there but I, I think there is a lot of choices that people can make that does not mean to say um, it will cost them more money. Because some of that is about mindset as well isn't it so having a kind of open mindset to thinking differently I mean you know have you got any kind of thoughts on how we can perhaps get people to perhaps think I'm just thinking about my mum really who's pretty pretty fixed in terms of you know what she wants to do she's kind of of an age, I guess, where she's pretty fixed. I mean, how do we how do we open people up to kind of thinking perhaps differently about environmental impact and the fact that those sound choices are accessible? I I think it has to mean something to them. Yeah. So I I think I think for you, for your mum, it's talking about future generations, maybe, and I think might work there. I also think more and more people are seeing the impacts of climate change. So the, the extreme weather and, and more floods in the UK. So that is changing things. But the young people are also influencing this a lot, a lot now. So and, and they're, you know, asking their parents to, to change things and be more sustainable. Absolutely. And it goes back to what you were saying before about engaging people rather than talking at them. Isn't it? It's it's involving people in the those changes I guess yeah it, it's making it really relevant so mm. it depends on the audience or the person you're talking to climate change in itself doesn't mean anything even if you hear the term 1.5 degrees but if you say it's getting warmer and we're going to have more floods and more heat waves that means something doesn't it that's going to impact us in the UK as well as you know developing countries severely so make it relevant and make yeah. it purposeful make it accessible yeah in a world where everyone is financially capable, what would that look like in your mind, Michaela? It would be being able to manage your money well day to day and, and, and not having money worries. So we know and the evidence will tell you that if you have worries about money, it will impact your mental well-being. You'll be having sleepless nights, etc. So, so that's the first step. 
I think the, the second bit is once once you're able to to manage your money, then it puts you in a better position to take advantage of other opportunities. So hopefully then you can start thinking about saving. It might be a deposit to buy a home. You might be starting to put money away for your retirement, etc. And I, th- I think that comes back to you'll also then you'll have the skills, the knowledge, the attitudes, as, as you've talked about, that that makes you make more informed decisions about what is the want and what is the need and be able to make those more mindful choices. And I guess that just gently nudges us to the subject of, of social mobility. Many of us have are, are concerned about the decline in social mobility, which has been compounded by the pandemic. There's le- very little research out there linking financial capability with social mobility. At Young Enterprise, we believe there is a link to explore there. I'd be keen to hear your views, uh, Michaela, on whether you think there's a contribution that financial capability can make to social mobility. I think there certainly is. I think when we come back to what we were talking about, the skills, knowledge and attitude to make those conscious or mindful choices, I think we we can quite clearly see that from a, a social mobility perspective, for me, they must be interconnected. And that if you don't have access to the same educational choices as as everybody else, then that is going to to then impact how you're going to be able to manage your money. And then that's where I think it's harder to think about future, thinking about going to university or anything like that, because you're probably in the mindset of, oh, I can't afford to do this. It's not something, you know, we we do in our family. Um, and I think that all comes from not thinking you've got enough money. But I, I'd love to see more research in this area, Sharon, um, because I, I'm sure that the two are definitely interconnected. Because just listening to you, it's not just about ensuring that young people get into don't get into problem debt or exploitation of finances. It's also about the aspirational elements as well, isn't it? That really considering what's possible. And and I think that that's an element of social mobility that really does need exploring. So you how you can open yourself up in terms of mindset around risk and reward and about investment and, um, and long-term savings. They're all kind of benefits and value add rather than just focusing much more on, on debt and exploitation. That's a point that you've made a couple of times about the potential for, for aspiration through yeah, financial education. I completely agree. And I, as you were talking then, I, I recall somebody talking about the poverty of aspiration me and uh, probably years ago that somebody said that and it's obviously stuck there somewhere in the back of my mind, Sharon. But but that's what I see from a, a social mobility perspective is that you you don't necessarily have the role models around you or the influences that make you think some of these things are possible and I I like what you were saying about being able to assess the risks of that and and the long-term benefits it's a life skill isn't it being able to manage your money well and be able to budget and plan and think about the future then that means you then able to think about other future opportunities which Mm. are you know your education whether it be home and then pension etc 
And I guess as well, that goes back to the importance of starting early, the importance of parents and the school going on the journey with, with very young children in terms of that joining the dots, if you like. Yeah. And, and I think that's the program is definitely an early intervention program. I think the bit for me is, is exactly what you said. It joins the dots between the parents and teachers in helping educate young children but also for them to be tracking that progress, I think it's important. But also that reaching more vulnerable children with that as well. So I'm also thinking about where where there's a carer situation. And and that's why you do need additions to these kinds of programmes to reach as many young children as possible. So, okay, Michaela, you know, you know I was going to ask you um, some questions that we had from young people who um, had some yeah. questions they'd like to ask our podcast and podcast guests I have a couple here that I think you might like you ready I'm ready okay so with COP26 on the horizon do you think that people's mindsets towards their personal finances have changed or will change in relation to the climate effort I'm coming out with a clear yes on this and I'm not just thinking the Greta generation you know I've got two young girls who are you know in their 20s and Previously, I was the one that used to have to sort of force them to talk about climate change and sustainability, and that's completely shifted. And I've also seen it in the gifts that they gift at Christmas and, you know, all the recycled or reusable things that they now gift and and ask for themselves. So I've seen that firsthand. But I also think you can see it in the growth in how many brands are marketing their sustainability credentials now and, and the younger brands that are doing that. And I also think the growth in sort of vegan options in fast food outlets is, is another clear sign that the younger generation are, are really, they're just more conscious about what's going to happen. And I hope that means that they will make more sustainable choices and then influence, you know, the older generations and their parents to make those more sustainable choices as well. And I also hope those Climate Heroes book, Sharon, that we talked about, you know, the Ed and Bunny and that they've got a piece on supporting their schools to be sort of renewable electricity. And then we've got some fast fashion and and food choices books coming with Aminori as well. So uh, my hope is that that they'll, they'll play that preventative role for younger generations, although I suspect they'll know a lot more than me on climate change going forward. That, that's brilliant, and I love the practical examples. And I think your 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 kind of insights into into fast food is just so on the money. And you know, you see that so many times when you walk into fast food restaurants now that there are vegan options, just as accessible as as everything else, really. So yeah, no, it's, that that's great. My second question is: um, young people are using cashless payments more and more. Do you think there's a difference in, in how this helps young people develop? basic money skills and mindsets compared to if they were using cash? People are certainly choosing many different ways to pay. When you're in a supermarket and you're filling up the trolley, you get asked if you want cash back. And and from a young child's perspective, you're thinking, uh, they must think you're being paid to go shopping. So, so you know, you you you're buying these goods, and then they see somebody hand you money, handing you money, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so key that you know children are curious. But remember, I, I sort of said earlier about trying to involve them, 
Um, I think this this is the key bit is think about those teachable moments. So if you can involve them in that weekly shopping planning, help help them look at the budget, even if it's just the budget for that that weekly shop, not necessarily all your bills, etc. And because I think you do need to bring these things to life now for children, but also they need to understand the sequence between you going to work and that that's bringing an income in, and then that is what's paying for any of the nice things that they can have, but it's also paying for the house and the bills. So I think it's really, really important that, you know, if we're going to teach financial independence, that that children understand the link between that and how to then better manage their money. And as you say, there, those teachable moments are, are opportunities to apply that learning and embed those behaviours. Definitely. And I know we encourage that through the Money Heroes programme. It's a lack of knowledge, I think, for a lot of parents that they don't realise how early those money habits are formed. So I think the more we can get that message out to young parents, I think that's crucial. Michaela, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I've learned a lot. I particularly love the quote so much that I've written it down. So every time you consume something, you make a vote for the kind of world that you want to live in. I just think that's fantastic. It's been an absolute privilege to talk with you on Minding Your Money. Thank you, Sharon. And it's been uh, an honour to join you today. Thank you very much. To hear more interviews like this and access series one and two, please subscribe to Enterprising Mindsets on your favourite podcast service. We'd love you to leave us a review if possible. Thank you for listening. Thank you.